0: Thank you for joining us for a very special episode. It's our 100th and we thought there would be no better way to celebrate it than having a bunch of different friends, politicians, and journalists interview our CEO, Chris Dipentima. So thank you for listening and enjoy this 100th episode. All right, Chris, are you ready? I am ready. Is joining us now is CEO of Compass MSP, Ari Santiago. He's also known, and, and you definitely know him for this, since you were also on his 100th episode, very popular podcast, second to the CBI BizCast, Made in America with Ari Santiago. He's joining us now because he has a few burning questions he's been meaning to ask you. Uh, he's had them in his head for the past few months. So he, here is the opportunity to uh, fire them away at Chris. Welcome
1: Ari. Thanks Ali, pleasure to be here. Listen, I, I as you mentioned, Chris came on my show for my 100th episode. He got to do the entire episode uh, as the host and grill me for the for the whole time. So, I don't know if this is full of uh, full return favor, but it's at least a step in the right direction. So, thanks so much for having me.
0: We're saving that for the 200th episode, so <laughs>
1: We'll get back oh, to you.
0: We'll schedule a date for that one.
1: That's awesome. Well, I, you know, I'm going to start off kind of, I think, on a on a serious and and reflective note. Um, given that, you know, I uh, count myself lucky to have been part of, you know, Chris's uh, group of consiliaries when he decided uh, whether or not to take the the role at, at CBIA, and um, I think we're all very fortunate that he did. So, Chris, I guess the question I want to ask you is: looking back at, you know, just about a year uh, through all this. Um, or two years, I guess coming up on,, uh, what is the most important thing that you think CBI has accomplished either this year uh, or in the last two years?
2: Yeah, thanks, Ari, That's a great question. i am I just finished my one year, so i, I am a full-fledged CBI employee now after having been here one year. I got my my pullover and everything to celebrate the one year anniversary. I know there was a lot of polls out in Connecticut about whether I would make it through one year or not, so people are swapping money. You know, Ari, the the one thing you and I talked about, before I even uh, threw my resume in for the for the interview and, and then accepted the position, was was shining a light on all the positive things our businesses do for Connecticut, and it's it's more than just job creation. It's the the pillars they are there for their community, the pillars they are for the state, all the th- things they do for the nonprofit community, um, the sports leagues in their towns, the soup banks, food kitchens, um, and uh, and or food banks, soup kitchens, sorry, and um, You know, that shining that positive light, I think, has been our biggest accomplishment over the past year, really pushing a lot out on social media and in our news that that go out to our members and just shining a light on businesses that, you know, they're really the heroes in this performance. They do so much for our town, so much for our state, and that they're so valuable to us as residents of Connecticut that we need to embrace that, nurture that, and grow that. So I think that's been, in my mind, one of our our biggest accomplishments. It's a never-ending journey. We'll continue to do that. Um, but I think we've made a lot of headway there.
1: You know, another thing that sort of struck me, Chris, is I think and maybe related to kind of this, this objective of sharing the positive, the tone and the messaging from CBIA seems to have taken a little bit of a turn, you know, in the year, and seems to have been a little bit uh, more positive, you know, maybe a little bit more middle of the road. And in some senses, is that part of like a strategic plan for you to do? And, And if it is, you know, why?
2: Well, you know, I, I am generally optimistic. Ari on things, um, I will certainly highlight when when things are an issue, whether it's my prior life uh, leading manufacturing businesses and my personal life. Um, but you know, you know, certainly here in the business community, uh, when there are issues that are preventing us from realizing our potential here in Connecticut, I'm not afraid to, to highlight those. But I'm just generally an optimistic person. I'm a type of person who likes to come into work every day, get up every morning with my head held high look bright uh, at what the day is is offering us and try to realize that potential. So I think that's part of my nature, but it is part of the CBI message. I mean, not only do we want to highlight the positives that businesses do, but we also want to be that organization where when we have to fight something, we offer solutions. I think there's been this this mystique that uh, the organization has been a no organization. We say no to a lot of things and that's it. We will say no to things that will hurt business growth and hurt economic growth in Connecticut but we'll off, offer alternatives. And so that's been you know, a big part of my DNA. I'm, I'm big on collaboration. I wanna to get to solutions. I, I don't really like to hear no all the time. I wanna hear what the problems are, but I want us to work together to solve them. And that's, you know, I hope part of the, the CBI DNA, I hope that's part of the business community DNA. And I really hope that's part of the state of Connecticut DNA that we work collaboratively together to, to identify the best opportunities and the solutions to solve those opportunities.
1: For businesses, Chris, that are like members of CBIA or thinking about becoming members of CBIA, and want to know from like the leader of CBIA, how do you kind of thread the needle of the different competing business interests, right? I mean, different businesses aren't monolithic. There's big businesses, small businesses, sometimes their, uh, their needs or desires diverge from each other. Like, you know, how do you spread, thread that needle to kind of play to all sides to make sure we're, we're growing this pie? And why should a company want to continue to be or to join CBIA and get in the fight with you?
2: Yeah, you know, the diversity of the CBI membership is really interesting, Ari. I, I think a lot of people think of us as just representing the big business community, or some of us think of, that we just represent the small business community, It's really, it's really both. You know, 95% of our membership is less than 100 employees, and I think that's a stat that's not well known. I think everyone always thinks, well, you represent the big Hartford corporations or the big headquarters here in Connecticut. At the same time, the other 5% are the major businesses in Connecticut. Every name that uh, people think of when they think of Connecticut businesses, whether they're here in Hartford, Fairfield County, New Haven County, uh, New London, and the rest of the counties across Connecticut. So, you know, threading that needle. The way I look at it, re is I always put myself in the seat of the Connecticut resident. I've, I've been born and raised in Connecticut. I've been a Connecticut resident all my life. What's best for the Connecticut resident? And that's usually good. Good, you know, growing the economy, creating jobs, creating growth opportunities for the residents of Connecticut, so they can not only get a job but get promoted in that job make more income have more opportunities if we make it you know look at it from the seat of the Connecticut resident we make it really of interest to them and we do things that are really important to them I think that's important to the business community because the businesses in Connecticut can't survive without residents and the residents in Connecticut can't survive without our businesses and so if we if we think of it from the customer being the Connecticut resident why is this important for the Connecticut resident why is this business policy going to grow the business community so that the Connecticut resident has more opportunities? I think that's how you thread the needle, Ari. I think that's what's good for the Connecticut residents, good for small business, it's good for biz business, it's good for manufacturing, it's good for healthcare, it's good for all industries. Because in Connecticut, we compete on our talent. We compete on workforce, we compete on innovation, we can compete on technology. We're not a low cost state. We compete because the residents of Connecticut and what they bring to the business community. So that's that's kind of the, the take I, uh, you know, the stance I take on um, when looking at threading the needle of the different membership interests we have at CBIA.
1: Listen, all these great answers, Chris. That's why I took the over on one year, uh, and I'm happy to be collecting my money on that. Uh, listen, I want to turn to like a couple other, uh, you know, well, maybe one not so light thing, and then I got a couple of light questions for you. Yeah, just one thing that's kind of curious, you know, you you've your career in the last, say, few years has taken some interesting turns, right? You went from owner of a family-run manufacturing at Pegasus, you know, where you really changed that business around, and it was thriving. Then you became part of a, you know, international manager uh, for Leggett Platt to run all these divisions across in Europe, Western Europe and across the United States. Uh, And then you came back to be CEO of uh, of CBA. And I wonder, you know, when you think about all those changes, what in the past has made you so prepared and so successful uh, for this job?
2: Yeah, and prior to that, I I was a practicing attorney for- uh, Listen, I was trying to
1: keep that a secret, you know. God, I I don't want everyone to know you're also a lawyer.
2: Uh, You know, it's a diverse background, Ari. Um, I think all of that has built up to this moment. I, I even told the CBI staff when I first came on board, you know, and I even told my Pegasus team when I left there is that my learnings over the years, and I really believe in constantly learning, constantly improving yourself, constantly developing yourself as an individual, Everything that's happened to me over my life, I think, has built up to that moment. The the legal legal background gave me the analysis side. It gave me a little bit of public policy chops, uh, obviously some debate and argument uh side and looking at things from both pictures, you know, what's the defense going to offer, what's the offense gonna offer. The manufacturing side threw me headfirst into leading an organization, which CBIA is a business when you still look at it. We still need to be successful running internally as an organization and obviously be successful with our, our customers, our members. Manufacturing, my manufacturing experience also gave me a lot of understanding of the collaboration that's needed, right? There's a lot of different differing interests in manufacturing. We have small manufacturers, large manufacturers in Connecticut, different regions of manufacturing in Connecticut, different industry sectors of manufacturing. And I was fortunate, you know, my 20 years of manufacturing to sit on a lot of different councils and boards, whether they were state-run or, or nonprofit run, and work in a collaborative atmosphere. And that was really my introduction to collaboration, how we could accomplish anything we want if we came together at the table, appreciated each other's differences, and and really honed in on those differences to come up with great solutions, to come up with great ideas, to move the manufacturing sector forward, and now to move our state forward, our business community forward, again, for the benefit of every Connecticut resident. As I I told the staff here, and as we advertise externally, our mission is to grow the Connecticut economy not just for the benefit of the business community, but for the benefit of every Connecticut resident. So, you know, that experience that I had, I really think kind of led me up to this moment of CBIA where now I tap into my operational history, if you will, my operational experience, obviously my uh, legal analyzing experience and my experience sitting on councils, collaborating with people and working with the legislature, working with government, uh, our governor's office. I think that's kind of built to this moment, if you will. and. Um, I, I think I, I, I'm well prepared for it, and we'll see. Obviously, if we can execute in some of that experience that I have.
1: Uh, listen, uh, that experience has been uh, super helpful, I think, uh, and just you know the well-roundedness of the logic you talked about from your legal career, small business, big business, collaboration on boards, uh, yeah, really uh, rolled up to make you the perfect candidate for this job. So uh, glad that glad to have you in it. All right, let's do a little fun, some fun stuff. Uh, first, first question I want to ask you. What's your favorite Connecticut fall festival or fall fair? You know, we got falls coming up here. You know, the pumpkin spice lattes are out. The Uh, cords and pumpkins will be out soon. Uh, You know, hot apple cider, where where do you go? What's your go-to?
2: Yeah, listen, I'm a big summer guy. My birthday's in summer. I'm a Leo, I've always loved the summer, but the falls in Connecticut, I love the fairs. I probably gain about 40 to 50 pounds come October i was born and raised in southington and i fell in love with the apple harvest in southington but a durham resident for the last 15 years there is no fair better than the durham fair it's just awesome the people that come to that fair from from connecticut from outside of connecticut i remember my first year working at the durham fair flipping chickens in the chicken booth for one of our for one of our kids uh, nursery schools and my first customer was from maryland he came to connecticut for the durham fair he loved the chicken I was like, wow, this is a really impressive year. We're getting people from outside of the state of Connecticut. And then to see 80,000 people descend on the small town of Durham, which has about a residence base of 6,000, uh, 80,000 people descend each day for the next three days. And, and really, uh, just I love that fear, Ari. It's just such an awesome time.
1: Oh, there you go. hometown, Hometown proud. Love it. So I think as probably the listeners know, you have a beautiful wife and three beautiful daughters. And I'm curious, if we got them and we said, you got to describe Chris, your husband, your dad, in one word, Mm. what word would they use to describe you?
2: Ooh, one word, huh? Um, You know, Joe Brennan used one word to describe me, and that's unflappable, patient. They wouldn't use that word at home. (laughs) I'll tell you that right now, okay? Uh, I think when Joe said that on your podcast, Ari, actually was the first time when Joe announced that he was going to be his successor he used that whole even keel with my background. And I think my wife and three girls fell over in their seat when they when they heard that, uh, you know, I was unflappable and, and impatient, or, or patient. Um, the word they would use is, um, well, I'll tell you, they probably use in a positive way, they use the word loving, maybe in a negative way they use impatient at home. That's where I bring all my impatience. I let it out when I'm at home. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I am—I try to be very caring with the girls, very nurturing with my wife and, and the girls. I, I try to be there for all their events. I remember when my older one graduated high school and my little one graduated elementary school, I was in the process of graduating the management program at Leggett and Platt. So I literally flew down to Carthage, Missouri on a Monday, flew back on a Tuesday for my little one's graduation, flew back to Missouri on a Wednesday and Thursday, and flew back on Friday for my older one's graduation. I really try to be there for them Ari. It's, it's tough when you're traveling a lot, like you know, I did in my former life. And when you have late nights and, and weekend activities, like we do here at CBIA, um, but I do really try to be nurturing and caring uh, for them. So I hope that would be the one positive word they choose to describe me
1: nice well listen i i love how you use your former lo- lawyer skills to filibuster me for like a minute and a half while you came up <laughs> with that word but i think in the end you came up with a good word and uh and, and knowing them a bit as i do i think that uh that, that'd be a word that they would definitely uh, use to describe you
2: you, you were two- there for my birthday are you were there for my 50th birthday just I, you know, my my three girls got up and sang uh, uh best day by taylor swift so to me which was you know, just brought me to tears. I love hearing them sing, and the fact that they chose that song, "The Best Day with You," you know, kind of reminds me of that caring, that nurturing, um, being there for them. And I love how they they sequence it too. The little one sang about being the five year old, the middle one sang in the, about the middle of teenage years, and the older one sang about looking back in the video and that song. And not a huge chiller Swiss fan, but I do love that song, and they they picked a great one for me.
1: Dude, that was uh, I, that was absolutely a, a tearjerker. So I, I'm sure Loving would be there. All right, two more quick questions. First one is, who is someone dead or alive, it could be anybody that you'd love to have like a long dinner with?
2: Hmm, dead or alive. Um, You know, Ari, an interesting one for me from my manufacturing background would be sitting down in the early 1900s with the then United Technology guys, right? Igor Sikorsky, those founders of manufacturing, aerospace manufacturing in Connecticut. What were they thinking? Because back then, aerospace wasn't you know, a huge thing. People weren't flying helicopters. They weren't flying planes. They'd settled on Connecticut as their location. There's a lot going on here. I, I would love to sit down with that group in the you know, 1915 era, try to understand what they were thinking, 1920 era.
1: Yeah, that's a good, that's a, that's a good pick. All right. Last, last question. Um, you met, you meet a ton of people you have over your entire career and at CBIA, constantly going out meeting people of all different, uh, walks of life. And I think the audience really wants to know of, of all these people that you've met, uh, had the opportunity to be with, who is the best podcast host <laughs> that you've ever had the opportunity to meet?
2: The best podcast host. Um, the Connecticut Mirror does an incredible podcast. John's got a great voice. I don't know if you have a chance to listen to him, but you should uh you should definitely dial it in. Um Ari, you you know, you're my favorite. I listen to you oh. right in. I I I watch I like to watch your podcast. I like to see the body language, the interaction, as you know. Um, you always take a piece of nugget away from your podcast. John's got a better voice than you. I will say that. John's got this when if I pass away, I want John to be there at my funeral doing my obituary because his voice is uh is very stoic, um, but yeah, I love the content of your podcast. I love the re- the realness of the podcast, right? When people going in there telling them telling why they do their manufacturing product, why they're in manufacturing, why they're here in Connecticut, um, what they want to learn from each other. It's just uh, we could all learn from each other, Ari. It's all about elevating the game of us each individually, the businesses, and the state as a whole. And that's you know what your podcast offers.
1: Stronger Together, Rebuilding Connecticut. Thanks so much, Chris, for uh, letting me come on. Allie, thanks for having me on, this was so fun.
0: Next up, we decided, Chris, that we needed someone who asks the hard-hitting questions for a living. So Jen Bernstein from Fox 61 joins us now. I know you've been in her hot seat a few times, but uh, now she's really coming for you today on this 100th episode. Jen, welcome to our 100th episode of the
3: BizCast. Thank you so much, Allie. Hi, Chris. Hey,
2: Jen. A good hot to see you,
3: seat, huh? Should be interesting. I got to get harder questions here.
2: Oh, easy. Go good easy. And
3: no, I know. So good to be with you guys. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. I, I was trying to think of a few questions um, and I default back to the real story, which you've been on, Chris. Uh, always good to have you on. And so I'm always curious about the state of business in Connecticut and the state of politics. So I have a question that has to do with both right now. And it's a current event, but Curious to know, what's the reaction that you're, are you hearing from Connecticut businesses to President Biden's announcement on requiring, mandating the vaccine for the private sector firms that have a hundred or more employees um, or else telling those employees to get weekly testing? What what are you hearing from businesses here in our state?
2: Yeah, Jan, you and 3.5 million other Connecticut people are asking me that question right now. So uh, we've been flooded this week after the mandate came out. Um, it's a real mixback, but honestly, I think some folks are are happy to see some momentum with uh, getting more folks vaccinated, so we can hopefully get this pandemic behind us once and for all. Um, I think we've kind of had a roller coaster ride with the Delta with the Delta surge, but at the same time, businesses never like mandates; they don't ever like to be told kind of what to do when running their businesses, and I know people don't like to be told what to do, and right now with this mandate, we really put businesses in the middle. So um, we, interestingly enough, surveyed our membership a couple months ago, because we had a feeling this was coming down the road, and it was really divided between membership, almost 50-50 for it and 50 against it. And um, it's gonna be a really challenging time for businesses. CBI will be right there in the middle to try to get a lot of answers, but um, there's a lot more questions than there are answers right now.
3: Yeah, I, I'd be curious to know, I mean, there must be so many questions generated from, I mean, how do you implement this? What's the uh, penalty if businesses don't? And, and it sounds like you all don't have those answers quite yet either.
2: Yeah, OSHA is going to be coming out with uh, basically the general rules of engagement, if you will, in the next couple of weeks. And typically with a government mandate, you don't get all the devil in the detail, unfortunately. And that's why you know we always get concerned. Um, there will still be questions even after that ruling comes out or that report comes out. Uh, but we have talked to the governor's office, and we're working with them on getting this vaccine app or vaccine passport rolled out because that was question number one from the business community: How do I verify that someone been vaccinated? The vaccine card um, has seen a lot of fraud recently, and, and uh, so that that uh, app will be really good. But there's a lot more questions that you mentioned: the the fines, the penalties. What do I do with an employee who doesn't comply with the testing or the vaccination? Um, does unemployment get involved? So there's going to be a lot of questions to be answered in the next couple weeks.
3: Are you getting a lot of support for that vaccine passport? Because I know Governor Lamont, you know, for a couple months now had not warmed up to the idea. Now it sounds like he is interested in, in possibly implementing it, but more for businesses is how he's kind of described it as a resource for businesses to be able to verify.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, him and I talked about it uh, just a couple of days ago, and, he, and I told him this was the number one issue with businesses. The first question we heard was, how can I verify? I don't have access to the registry as a business owner or business leader. And so we talked about the vaccine passport, which has has been out there uh, on the table, if you will, a few times since the spring. But as you mentioned, the governor just held back, but now we really need that as a resource to answer question number one. Interesting.
3: We're in year two of this pandemic at this point. I'm curious to know how you think businesses in Connecticut are bouncing back, especially with the Delta variant? And I know this is kind of an open ended open-ended question because we have so many different types of businesses. The kinetic, you know, the restaurant industry is going to answer it differently from, you know, a different sector um, here in our state. But what are you hearing are, are the biggest challenges for businesses on year two?
2: Uncertainty continues to be, especially with this latest vaccine uh, mandate and uncertainty has been the, the topic or the hot buzzword, if you will, <laughs> during this whole pandemic. Uncertainty early on about what businesses are allowed to stay open, which businesses had the shutter for the government uh, direction, then uncertainty around the vaccine rollout. I think the the state did the right thing, the government did the right thing in pivoting from a business rollout to an age-based rollout, which was much more simpler in the springtime. And now we're at uncertainty again. So that uncertainty um, has been the biggest concern of businesses. I, I always say uncertainty is the enemy of businesses. Business leaders like predictable, stable environments so they can plan their businesses accordingly and really move forward Um, and so that's the that's the biggest issue I will say our businesses have been incredibly resilient and it's not a surprise to me personally having been in the private sector for 20 plus years before taking on the post here at cbia our businesses are innovative they're dynamic um, they really collaborate well together both in the private sector and with the public sector so they've done an incredible job of of really kind of getting through this and, and hopefully this is our last hurdle right now
3: Oh, so true. Uh, talking about unpredictability. I mean, that's been like the number one complaint, I think, from businesses when it comes to Connecticut and its taxation, taxation process and um, proposing taxes right in the past. Uh, people feeling like Connecticut isn't necessarily predictable with its tax structure that a new tax could be coming down the line at at, at any point. What is Connecticut doing well right now? This can be pandemic related or just business related. And what does Connecticut need to improve on to help businesses in our state?
2: Yeah, I think we had a great session relative to taxes specifically or holding the line on taxes, no new taxes. In fact, we had a couple of proposals that got passed where actually businesses may even see less taxes in a few years. The research and development tax credit going from 50 percent to 70 percent will help a lot of businesses who are doing a lot of things around innovation, whether it's manufacturers, biopharma, uh and other folks. So we, we were able to hold the line of taxes while in our surrounding states were actually increasing taxes at the time. And so it's going to make Connecticut more competitive in the Northeast. And I think that was a result uh, of really the, the success of the 2017 bipartisan legislator, which created the Rainy Day Reserve. It created the spending cap. And we saw that bipartisan folks working together again this session. Um, it was certainly helped by a lot of federal dollars coming into the state. And we've got to realize that is only a temporary plug for the next 18 to 20 months and so we've got that period of time to really get our economy on its own feet grow it significantly so we're not facing deficit after deficit as you said unpredictability after unpredictability so the biggest I would say the business success has been this past session we really fought a lot of labor mandates. The biggest concern will be are we able to wean off of the federal dollars that are coming in in 20 months from now and, and able to stand our own 2 feet.
3: I'm curious, you know, we have had un- high unemployment numbers because of COVID, you know, the last what year and a half. Um, and I'm curious if there's an industry in Connecticut, if people are looking to come back to work and they haven't been in work, is there a budding industry in Connecticut that you look at and you're like, you should look into that. That's a good industry to be employed to. Because we've also seen a lot of people kind of take stock and what... Um, they're doing and and a lot of people switching career fields and changing things up using using this as an opportunity to have a fresh start. So is there an industry that you look at and you say "Hmm, should keep your eye on that or you should check that out to people?
2: I mean, from an individual career pathway, manufacturing, as you know, is near and dear to my heart. But that's where I I spent uh, 15 of the last 20 years. uh, You know, I was an attorney before that. And, and it's just near and dear to my heart, just because there's so many pathways that you go in manufacturing. There's so many career opportunities. It's not just a job, it truly is a career. I mean, I was I was a lawyer, I got into the family business, and then for a while I spent time in sales, and I spent time in operations, I spent time in finance, HR, uh, operations, production planning. There's a lot of avenues that an individual can grow, go and grow in manufacturing. So from an individual perspective, I say manufacturing. From an industry perspective, as far as Maybe something that's not known to the residents of Connecticut. Our logistics and warehousing uh, industry in Connecticut is just exploding. Obviously, Amazon did very well during Covid with everyone uh, shopping online, and I know we have stacks of packages at my house. Uh, unfortunately, my twelve year old knows how to shop on Amazon now, which is killing me. <laughs> oh. um, but Amazon has really, you know, grown their footprint here in Connecticut, but so has FedEx and the distribution center there and UPS and some of our other logistics and warehousing. And the reason being is, they want to be close to new york they want to be close to boston but we actually have lower property costs here in connecticut and we have the interstate we have the the ports um, and so we have the ways for them to move their product very easily throughout the northeast at a lower cost than some other states so that's certainly a budding industry that's one of the few industries that interestingly enough that actually has um lower unemployment now than it did pre covid in other words it's created more jobs during COVID and grown the job in that industry, uh, more so than any other industry in Connecticut.
3: That is interesting. I mean, it makes sense, too, because of our location, as you said, and the amount of space we have, right? Like we have places where, where we can house these warehouses. Chris, it was so good to join you. Allie, thank you all so much for inviting me to be a part of this. I'm honored and it was fun and very informative as usual. Thank you. OK, Chris joining us now we've got past chair on our board and managing
0: partner of mirtha Colina, jen Delmonico. monaco i know you guys go way back or at least for the past year have been talking quite a lot but jen this is your time to ask any of those questions that might have been unanswered over the past year
4: great well i'm i'm glad to have that opportunity thanks for inviting me today Of course. All right, fire away at him. All right, Chris, here you go. So you've been CEO of CBIA for a little over a year now, and it's been quite a year given the pandemic, not exactly the circumstances you were planning on when you took the job. Um, But looking back over the first year, what accomplishments are you particularly proud of?
2: It has been a challenging year, Jen, yeah. To to switch careers in the middle of COVID, economic crisis, um, but CBIA has accomplished a lot, and, and the business community in general has accomplished a lot over the past year. We had a great legislative session no new taxes in fact there were some tax reductions that came out i'm i'm most proud Jen of the fact of everyone coming together the collaboration which i knew existed in Connecticut was really at an all-time high uh during the last 12 months whether it was public-private partnership on covid committees on the vaccine rollout on policy items where we got a lot of support from the business community for policies that we were pushing for or ones that we were against. And then the collaboration with the administration, I think has been has been really good too. So I'm most proud of that, Jen and I'm definitely proud of the way the CBI staff has worked through a really challenging time. And to achieve things like membership growth, growth in our insurance product and some of our other services has been tremendous.
4: So there have been, you know, obviously many, many serious challenges arising from the pandemic, to be sure. But I'm sure there were also many examples of Connecticut businesses really stepping up and managing those challenges in new and creative ways. Are there some examples of that creativity that you can that really stick with you from the past year?
2: Yeah, so many things that Connecticut businesses did. Um, and we knew they were great corporate citizens in Connecticut uh, at the very beginning, but the way they stepped up during COVID. Um, you know, there there was never more uh, real outreach for how can we help the nonprofits out there that I saw in the private sector, people calling CBI and saying, I want to do something to help. I'm not too sure what is it, what is it, can you connect me with the nonprofit community to put this together? And we saw things like, you know, soup kitchens and food banks, uh, Girl Scout cookies, stocking away, helping their local town. Uh, some of our businesses offering employees um, restaurant gift cards to keep the restaurants going during this really challenging time. I thought that was probably one of the most uh, creative things. It was a way to reward your employees for them coming in during a really challenging time and working through it and keeping your companies going. But at the same time, keeping the local community afloat, especially our, our restaurant industry, which is really challenging.
4: And then what's, what was the biggest challenge to CBIA and to CBIA's business given the pandemic and how did you deal with that?
2: One of the biggest challenges, Jen, was during the vaccine rollout. You know, it was a very dynamic initial rollout where the healthcare workers and the elderly were certainly at the front, but then it was going to go through the business community in a really strange way. It was kind of Group 1B, Group 1C, Group 1D. If people remember, before we switched to age base, which I give the governor and the administration a lot of credit for switching to age base, while it was really challenging for the business community because we were all amping up and getting ready to be the next in line. And there were a lot of questions and confusions about registers and rosters, and do I use clinics on site, or or do I have to send my employees? How do I know my employees have been vaccinated? Uh, There was a lot of confusion at that time, Jen, and I think that was one of the most challenging things, and we were fortunate to be working with the governor very closely at that time, and they reached out to us and said, we're thinking about moving to this age-based rollout, what do you think? And I told them honestly, I said, I think some businesses are gonna be really frustrated because they've been keying up for this moment. Literally, we were next in line, But in the end, there's so much confusion right now, this is the right thing to do. It's simpler, it's more streamlined. And it turned out it was, you know, Connecticut's leading the nation uh, in number of vaccinations and we have been for for quite several months now.
4: So looking forward to the next 12 months and the next session, what are your top priorities?
2: We're working on them right now. Uh, We we started something last year, which I think was was really great of CBIA, where we've been going out and casting a very broad net to get feedback from. Not only our members and our board of directors, like yourselves, but from trade association non-members, administration, legislators. So we've been working those interviews. Uh, we did more this year than we did last year, which were kind of in-depth interviews. We did a Markham Business Survey, which we'll be releasing at the September 30th Economic Summit. Um, and we've been really just kind of grabbing some, mining some other data as far as what are the biggest pressure points. We had a few things that didn't get through last year that we're gonna we're gonna uh, double up on if you can, and, and try to get it through if you will. Uh, One of them was uh, recognizing occupational licenses uh, for out-of-state residents. That's one of the things that's been holding back uh, job growth here in Connecticut for a while. We're one of the worst states in the country when it comes to recognizing occupational licenses of non connecticut residents. And if we want to move people into Connecticut, especially military spouses or people working just across the border in New York or Massachusetts, you know, recognizing licenses that they've gotten in other states is critical to that so that they don't have to come in Connecticut and retrain and recertify and go through this process that they've already done in other states. So that was one of the issues we had on the on the agenda last year it Came close to passing but it didn't, and we're going to go all in on that. Infrastructure and transportation is always at the top of minds of our members, and we'll see what happens at the federal level with the money that's going to come in, but we'll make sure it's spent wisely if it does come to Connecticut with top infrastructure and transportation priorities so we can move our workforce around the state.
4: Yeah, and you've you've already referenced a couple of the challenges, you know, key challenges that we face here in Connecticut. And I'm curious, you know, if you had a magic wand that could change one thing to improve our state, what would that be?
2: Uh, Well, you know, one of the top complaints is affordability and lowering our fixed costs is going to be critical. And we do have a huge opportunity. The Boston Consulting Group did a report at the commission of a bipartisan legislation and recognize some cost reduction opportunities that Connecticut has in government, especially with a huge number of state employees eligible to retire over the coming 12 to 24 months and embracing more automation, more technology, things that the private sector does every day to make their businesses more efficient. Um, If Connecticut, if the state can do that at the state level, then as these employees retire, we won't have to backfill them one for one and we'll be able to lower our fixed costs, the cost of government and make the state more affordable. So that's you know, a huge opportunity ahead for us that I know the administration's working on and we're going to partner with them to, to really make sure we put those in place.
4: Yeah, that's great. And again, you know, we we understand there are challenges, but one of the things we all really appreciate about appreciate about you and your leadership is that even though you're realistic about some of these challenges, you're also very optimistic about our state and our future. So can you share with us some of the reasons you are so optimistic about Connecticut?
2: Uh, you know, John, I've been born and raised here. I I uh uh, ran my family's manufacturing company for uh, 20 years before we sold it to a larger organization who was as in on Connecticut as I am. They grew our organization after we sold it. We added more employees. Um, it's people like you. It's the business leaders of Connecticut. It's my friends who live in Connecticut. Uh, it's one of the passions that uh, really pushed me forward to to seeking the opportunity here at CBIA and eventually taking the job when you all offered it to me, which I'm incredibly appreciative of. But the, the the optimism the, the the hard work of the business leaders in Connecticut it's like nothing I've ever seen and I've run businesses in, in other parts of the country and in other countries in the world uh, the engagement with the employees the the passion to make things better you know we have this Yankee ingenuity at the foundation the DNA of all Connecticut residents and we know we can do things better even when we're uh, humming at all cylinders we know we could be better and that passion drives collaboration wanting to make our state better and so. That's why I wanted to come back uh, to be all in on Connecticut, That's why I'm optimistic on Connecticut because of the people behind that. I know if we work together, if I could play some small part in bringing people together, the ideas are there, the passions there, the sky's the limit for the state.
4: That's great. And again, we, we all really appreciate that in you and, and your leadership in that regard. So we all know you as this business leader and you've been around for a long time, but we want to try to get to know you a little bit better as a person. So. You know, you're a busy guy, leading the business community, running a business yourself, being a family man. But when you do have business, or I'm sorry, time for yourself, what do you like to do?
2: I love playing golf and I play, uh, I'm fortunate to be able to play with my predecessor and mentor Joe Brennan uh, quite often, which is always good for me, because I I get to enjoy something I'm doing and also check in with him and say, what do you think, how am I doing? And he'll be like, yeah, you're not doing that great. You gotta wait to go. (laughs) So he's always challenging me, but you know, Joe is that consummate uh consummate optimist consummate uh i've always said he's one of the most beloved people in connecticut and so he's always there to kind of cheer me on and i love kind of checking in with him so golf is one of the things i love being with my girls i love swimming in the backyard my backyard is i've been to a lot of amazing places across the world but my backyard is still my favorite especially when the sun goes down a beautiful sunset we're over by the pool uh music's playing and hanging out with the girls um I love sports too, Jen. I, I, anything's on TV, I'll watch it. Any sport, I'll go to. Um, you know, sports is uh, something that kind of drives my inner competition. Uh, maybe it's something that drives my optimism as well. Um, but I, I love anything with sports.
4: That's great. Yeah, and I guess I guess you've had a pretty good life. If your favorite place in the world is your backyard, right? That's that's fantastic. Um, so let's take take you back a little ways. What was your very first job, and what lessons did you learn from that?
2: Well, my very first job was actually an arby's uniform working for arby's fast food uh, and my lesson uh my lesson there was i wanted to study really hard and work really hard so i didn't have to do that for the rest of my life um but uh you know i actually met i remember the people i met back there uh you know at 16 years old at arby's and just that camaraderie and actually enjoying going into work because of the people that i worked with and it's still there However many years later, I just turned 50, so when I was at Arby's at, at 16, so 34 years later. The people at CBA probably know this, uh, I just love coming to work. I love seeing the people I work with, I love that personal interaction. And now in this new role that you guys have uh, so graciously you know, given me, uh, I get to meet even people outside of work. That's part of my role as a whole networking, meeting our members, listening to constituents, listening to the legislators, and I just love the human interaction side. So. Some people, you know, they hate leaving the house, they're, they're, they're going in the work, and they're, they're miserable. And for me, going to work just kind of amps me up and gets me going. because I just love the uh, the people interaction and the people side of it. And, and believe it or not, it was there at Arby's at 16. And that was one of the things I, I learned early on, is I love working with people.
4: That's great. So what is something that people might be surprised to learn about you? Do you have like a hidden talent that we don't know about, anything like that? <laughs>
2: I don't know about any hidden talent. I, I will say people are still surprised to learn uh that I was a lawyer and I still am a lawyer, right, Jen? Um, you know, I practiced law for as a trial attorney for eight years before getting into manufacturing. So people then they start to scratch their head going, wait a second, you were a lawyer and then you switched careers and went to manufacturing, and then you switched careers and went into the nonprofit business sector. Are you just not able to hold down a job? And I've only had three jobs my whole life. Um But, uh, you know, once you get beyond the Arby's of the world, um, but the three jobs have been in three very distinct careers and that always, um, I think surprises people from a professional side from a personal side. uh, I don't know if it's a hidden talent, but I do love to cook and I know my kids really enjoy what I cook. Uh, You know, they love my truffle pastas they love when I make some type of uh, different type of pasta style dishes that I learned from my mom. Um, But so I, I do love to cook it actually relaxes me. Uh, so I don't know if it's a hidden talent. I'll have to cook for a lot of people to decide that. I'm not going to open up a restaurant, I don't think. But no, that You is, can bring that it in here. I, 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 I would here. be
0: the judge of that talent, Chris, that it seems like pasta
4: seems to be your your main dish.
2: Uh, as an Italian, it's all about carbs.
4: Allie, I was thinking the same thing that I think at our next board meeting, we should have a, uh, I think Chris should cater it. <laughs> yes, I mean, and if you want to bring in some of the Arby's curly fries, if you remember,
0: <laughs> oh. I'm going to make those because- those are pretty good.
4: <laughs> well, good. Well, Chris, last question for you. You've rented before. You've worked um, different places all over the world. Traveled a lot. Do you have a, a best vacation you've ever taken or favorite destination?
2: Um, well, I've had a lot of them, Jen. I've been, you know I've been blessed, like you said, to travel all over the world to run organizations in different parts of the world. It's, it's interesting when you run an organization and kind of a travel destination like Paris or the north coast of France or England. Uh, you really get to understand the people there because your your employees are part of the the culture, part of the workforce that we all think of as you know tourism. Um, I do love the north coast of uh, France uh, where I was based for many years. The, the stays very light there it's in the summertime. I love when the sun goes down at 11, 11 15 at night. It's uh, I love long days and when the sun's up for a long time, right on the ocean. Uh, Turks and Caicos is, uh, has been a a, fan, a favorite of the families, and and we certainly love going down there uh, with the most amazing water. I've ever seen, um, but as I said, Jen, I'm happy taking a vacation in the backyard and just floating <laughs> in the pool and listening to tunes and maybe drinking a little bourbon and, and watching the sun go, down our, uh, sun go down in our backyard. Uh, we have a beautiful view in Durham, and we're fortunate there.
4: Sounds like life is pretty good right here in Connecticut. So that's that's wonderful. Um, no reason to go
2: anywhere else, Connecticut <laughs> <Exactly.
4: off. laughs> Well, thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate the opportunity to ask you a few questions today.
2: Thanks, Jen, for doing it. Great to see you. You
4: too.
0: And joining us now is Connecticut's first chief manufacturing officer, Colin Cooper. Colin, I know you and Chris have talked a lot lately, but this is the time to really get those burning questions answered, fire away at him.
5: Great, Uh, Chris, it's always great to see you. Um, And thanks for having me. I think you've been in, in this position for a year, year and a half or so now. Uh, and I guess my first question for you is, you know, what, what has surprised you most as you transitioned from running a manufacturing organization to now running a, a service and advocacy organization uh, with so many, uh, such a diverse set of stakeholders across the state?
2: The engagement level, Colin, how, how committed uh, whether you're a small business, medium business, or large business, um, whether no matter what industry sector you are, are in, how engaged and committed the business community is to making their towns better, making the state better, and really growing a Connecticut's economy. So that that's that total level of engagement is really uh, I knew it was a high level, but that really surprised me.
5: I, I would think that there are, you know, there are sometimes you're asked to take a position on a situation where Um, You're going to have some stakeholders who are, uh, you know, fervent supporters of that position, and then others who aren't. I mean, you've got such a diverse set of stakeholders. Can you talk a little bit about how you sort of thread the needle there and and what your decision-making criteria is for when your organization takes a position on on an issue?
2: Yeah, you know, Colin, the good thing is that all businesses want to improve Connecticut's economy. They want to see the state grow. And they're really all vested not just for their own businesses, but for the residents of Connecticut. So, you know, I told people it's the, the way I, you know, when we have an issue come up and we're debating whether it's good for big businesses or small businesses, generally, if it's about the Connecticut economy, it's good for everyone, and most importantly, it's good for the Connecticut residents. So, putting our, our, you know, wearing the shoes of the Connecticut resident, if you will, putting our seats in their chair, and understanding will this be good for the residents of Connecticut is how we decide whether to take on. Uh, support an issue, oppose an issue, or if it's a mixed bag, you know maybe we'll sit on the sidelines and let it play out. Okay, um, and
5: so um, you know, since I've been with the state, and this really pre predates my involvement with the state. I, I think, uh, and 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 predates your involvement at, at, at CBIA, at least in your current capacity. So neither one of us can take full credit for this, but I think we we're cogs in in the machinery here. Um, but just a much greater sense of. Um, uh, cooperation, collaboration, and coordination amongst the different stakeholders around the state, um, and uh, you know, particularly in manufacturing and workforce development. Uh, and uh, and clearly, I think uh, Kelly Valerie's coming on uh, as the uh, uh, chief workforce officer running the Office of Workforce Strategy and, and chairing the governor's workforce uh, council uh, plays a role in this. Um, but I, I also sense a greater uh, spirit of cooperation uh, and collaboration between CBIA and our lawmakers around the state. And is, is that just a perception that I have you know, based on sort of your, your personality and the governor's personality? Or is it real? Uh, and if so, you know, what do you think is driving that? And, and maybe you could provide an example of, of, um, of where it benefits the business community.
2: I think it's very real, Colin, and that's, uh, you know, that's been reassuring this past year since I've been in the position. I think it's one of the main reasons it's being driven is that there are now business people in state government and in the nonprofit community, like myself, running trade associations, and those, those folks have the appreciation for the business community. They come from the business community. Uh, I think there's some common misperceptions from those who haven't been involved in the business community that businesses are bad, they only care about profits, they don't care about the employees. And it's anything but that in Connecticut, we compete on our workforce, we compete on our innovation and technology. And so business leaders, business owners really em- embrace their employees. They really nurture them, they want them to do well, they want their businesses, uh, they know how to drive the businesses overall. So I think having business leaders in state government and um, in, in various organizations across Connecticut has increased that level of collaboration and cooperation. And some real examples is the agreement we were able to reach with the governor's office and labor, um, the unemployment trust reform, you know, management, labor, public-private sector coming together uh, for to do something that's good for the business community for more than 75% of businesses that will probably lower taxes over the next couple of years. Um, that, that was just significant. And, and combating some bad labor mandates that maybe came up from some legislators who don't have that business experience, who really don't see the value of the business community uh, working with the governor's office and other legislators, mostly moderates, to kind of combat some of those maybe bad labor mandates that would have really hurt uh, our economy's growth. Um, those those are some real examples of collaboration and cooperation.
5: Okay, great. Um, as you look forward, you know, building on this cooperation, collaboration, coordination, um, you know, what what do you think are the, could you give us an example of some of the highest legislative priorities your, your organization has and, and, and why those are your your top priorities
2: you know continuing to make the state more affordable um continuing to make state government more efficient i know the governor and his staff including you have really embraced uh technology automation you know driving the state to the 21st century to make it more efficient to deliver better services something that we all do have done in the business community for decades now because we aren't a low-cost state. so the way we stay competitive as i mentioned is our workforce and innovation and that innovation is mostly around technology and automation making our businesses more efficient state government has really started to embrace that over the last several years and i think that's a real opportunity for us going forward especially with a number of state employees potentially eligible to retire is that if we're able to do things better faster and actually deliver better customer service but maybe not a backfill every state employee that's retiring that will help lower the cost of, of state government and make the state more affordable, lowering our fixed costs, which I think is a critical opportunity that we have in front of us. And I know the governor and his uh, his staff are all over it. Yeah, no, I
5: can tell you from, from the state government side uh, things, we're seeing that uh, there's gonna be a lot of attrition uh, in the next, really in the next uh, 12 months or so uh, in a lot of the state agencies. And, and they're working very hard to bring in technology and automation uh, and, and systems uh, to help uh, allow us to deliver um, services uh, uh, more effectively uh, and with less uh, with less labor. Uh, so uh, we'll see again a lot, lot of good efforts going on in that regard. Um, you know, back to CBIA. Um, you know, Constep is such a vital uh, component of the Connecticut manufacturing ecosystem. I've had an opportunity to work with the folks over there. I really enjoy working; some really good people there. Um, can you talk about uh, the affiliation uh, between CBIA and Constep, and then sort of what you see uh, as that organization's focus going forward?
2: It's a great affiliation, Colin. It's, you know, CBIA is the largest manufacturing association in Connecticut, and and I was kind of surprised to find out cbia is one of the largest manufacturing associations in the country believe it or not um and as you know concept deals uh with our manufacturers mostly our small medium-sized manufacturers and there's a great intersection there with the cbia membership so i think there's a huge opportunity to continue to educate the manufacturing community about concept services cbia product and all the programs that are out there in the state of connecticut as you know the average size manufacturer, and it's actually the average size business in Connecticut, is only about 12 to 15 employees. So they have their head down. They're trying to keep the wheel going every day, keep payroll going, get the revenue in. And they don't really have their head up and looking out as far as what opportunities are there to help them as a business survive and really grow. And so with the voice of CBIA, the voice of concept, and really you know, the voice of you and state government, broadcasting those programs, broadcasting all that's available, available to those Small, medium sized manufacturers, I think there's a huge opportunity and that's what excites me about the affiliation add in our other affiliate ready CT. Which is focused on education and workforce development and, as you know, workforce 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 are the top three issues for manufacturers. There's a there's a great intersection there with the business community education and what concept does with the small medium sized manufacturers for us to have a, have a huge impact on the manufacturing community in Connecticut
5: yeah I, and, and you bring up a great point i mean so the average size manufacturer is probably 20 to 25 uh, uh, employees uh, the business leader is wearing multiple hats uh, if the phone's ringing it's, it, it could be a customer it's got to be answered it's the end of the month the product's got to get finished and out the door uh, you need to hire people uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there, um a lot of, and you and I have been in this position where you're sort of consumed by what's right in front of you, right? You've gotta, you got to, got to make the day, make the week, make the month. Uh, and sometimes it's a little hard to sort of pull up a little bit and look it out. Uh, you know, where do I want my business to be five years? And, and I've had the good fortune of working with the folks, uh, at Constep on, um, on a number of sort of longer term initiatives. One is in and around the digital transformation. There's a lot of digital technology uh, coming to bear in the manufacturing environment and and the work that they are doing in in that regard. And and then also something that's a bit more mundane and I sort of liken it to uh, uh, spending time and effort putting a new roof on your facility, right? It costs a lot of money It's a distraction and the place looks and functions the same afterwards. But if you don't, Uh, you're in for trouble. And that that would be cybersecurity. Uh, We've been focused on it in manufacturing. um, And part of it is because um, the largest um, customer for aerospace and defense products in the world is the U.S. government. And the U.S. government is really uh, focused on this and making their suppliers focus on it. But it's um, it's not just good business for uh, defense manufacturers it's a critical component of any manufacturing or candidly any business um, uh, out there uh, again i you know I can see from from my vantage point that, w- that we're trying to get the word out uh, to folks in uh, in in the defense manufacturing community but we we need to continue to get the word out to all manufacturers and really all businesses. Uh, I know uh, uh, constep has has um developed sort of a they become a regional center of expertise not only for connecticut but really for new england in that area can you talk a little bit more about um sort of their role in, in cybersecurity and, and, and which is a component of the larger digital transformation going forward
2: yeah they're, they're the leader column like you said they have become that center of excellence they've worked very closely and this is another you know we talk about public private partnerships you know this is the private nonprofit partnership between stanley black and decker and and us here at CBIA and Constep, where Stanley has really kind of led the way in training us about how to be cybersecurity assessment experts, if you will. And again, that's what we do, right? We assess, we identify the gaps, and then we work with the businesses to identify resources to help fill those gaps. And Concept's become a leader in the cybersecurity assessment um, using the Siri assessment, which is something that Stanley Black & Decker has really latched onto and promoting it, uh, along with, with NAM, uh, one of the the National Association of Manufacturers, which is a national association that CBIA is the Connecticut delegate of. So again, here you see that, the power of the affiliation concept offering the services, CBIA being the NAM delegate here in Connecticut and working with a great CBIA member company, Stanley Black & Decker, one of our larger member companies to identify the best way to do those assessments and the best way to fund those assessments. And now we're working with you and the Manufacturing Innovation Fund to figure out, okay, we. We've come up with the best practice here. We deployed it in a sample size. How do we get it bigger? How do we get it better? How do we get it across more manufacturers? And that's, you know, new products, educating the manufacturers about what's currently out there and then looking at new products and new service offerings that we can help the manufacturers with, with. That's the power of the affiliation between CBI concept and again, pulling ready CT in that fold as well.
5: Um, sort of, I want to talk about a little broader issue uh, right now, there's a, you know, obviously, uh, much needed focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I think you know, and and, and really a lot of what's driving that is to address a lot of social issues that that need to be addressed and have haven't been addressed for far too long. But also, uh, I would maintain and I when I talk with manufacturers that it's not only the right thing to do, it's the uh, it's it's the right thing to do from a business perspective. Um, you're aware, obviously, acutely aware of the. Um, of the, the workforce issues we have in the state, that all every virtually every manufacturer needs skilled employees, um, and we need to identify um, uh, new sources of talent uh, that historically have have been underutilized, and then make sure that that talent has access to the training and can enter the manufacturing workforce. Can you talk a, a, a little bit um, about what? Um, uh, CBIA is doing uh, in sort of the diversity, equity, and inclusion sphere, and, and how you're you're linking that to um, you know better outcomes for businesses.
2: Uh, Colin, this is this is something that we've been talking about, you know, in the manufacturing community and the business world for for more than a decade now. Specifically in manufacturing, I know you and I and many others have had conversations where even when we had historically low unemployment numbers we many of our manufacturers are in the rural or suburban areas of Connecticut, right maybe right outside the city but well, not many of them are right in the city whether that's because of affordability issues or property tax issues it's a different city by city but that's where the workforce potential was that's where maybe we had higher levels of unemployment in the city that's where the kids were graduating high school and colleges and maybe had career opportunities to go right into manufacturing and the issue was connecting them with the manufacturers and and also honestly transportation moving them back and forth and transportation has always been a bit of an issue here in connecticut fortunately it looks like we may be getting some federal dollars to really help address that because the workforce of today and tomorrow is in our urban areas and the and the opportunities are somewhat in our rural suburban areas which Connecticut's known for we need to be able to move them back and forth very easily so that's a huge opportunity that cbia Has been behind to really help not only address the workforce issue, but address the social equity issues as well. And one of our big policy priorities last year was bipartisan solutions to transportation and infrastructure. It wasn't something we were able to get through. We will continue to work on it this year. It's the number one issue for businesses and it's the number one issue for residents. We've all complained about this issue. Now it's coming together to identify the the best solutions um, for it. And then, and I will say honestly, Colin, internally we continue to work, look at um, diversity, equity, inclusion. How how diverse is our board? You know, from a male-female perspective, from an ethnicity perspective, from a region perspective, from an industry perspective, small business and large businesses. Because our board, the CBI board, is really the ones informing us on our policy priorities, what they should be, and, and approving them. And if we don't have a diverse board, then obviously we're not we're not grasping the opportunities that are out there to really have a wide voice in developing those priorities. So that's that's something that we continue to work on. We have a very diverse board from a male-female perspective. We're going to continue to diversify it from a minority business perspective and making sure it's diverse in industry sector and small businesses. And then finally, I'll just go back to Ready CT and our education affiliate there. You know, we're working right in the inner cities to develop career pathway programs in Hartford. We're trying to move to New Haven now, to Bridgeport, to Waterbury. These are career pathway programs that offer opportunities for the underserved students in our urban areas often minorities to go and get a career right after high school if they want to or go on to a two year college or four year college But at least it gives them a sample size in manufacturing financial services. Now we've just launched a, a health care pathways in Hartford high school so lots of opportunities there Colin. Um, this is a huge issue we have a big achievement gap here in Connecticut. And I, it's an issue, but it's an opportunity, right? It's an opportunity for right. us to make the state better.
1: Yeah,
5: I you know, I always say it's like the old uh, Venn diagrams where you've got these overlapping. It's it's uh, uh, where we've got social goals and objectives and economic development goals and objectives. And there's just, it's almost perfect alignment. We just need to put the uh, uh, the resources in, in place, build out those pipeline programs. You know, so uh, let me ask you um, sort of a little off uh, um Topic questions that we've been on. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more sort of personal stuff for you, Chris. And this is uh, uh this is one where I, you know I need a definitive answer. I know you love all your children, um, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you uh, make some choices here. So I know personally that you're a big supporter of many of the microbreweries in and around the state, uh, and so I need to know. Uh, you know, which which is your favorite or maybe your two top favorite and,
2: and why? I love Tony up at Back East Brewery. He has a great story, great guy. Any man who invents uh the ice cream beer, uh, ice cream man beer, you know, is, uh, he deserves some recognition. And he's, he's hosted our happy hour just a year ago, Colin. I think the very first event I did at CBI was with you at Back East Brewery for manufacturing happy hour on, on manufacturing day. Uh, and we've been back at Tony's place a few times. Uh, he just uh, he's just committed to the Connecticut, uh business community. He's he's very innovative, and he's just uh, he's got a great story up there. And he not only offers IPAs, as you know, Colin. You and I are maybe more of the non-IPA drinkers. He's got some great pulls up there as well in the October Fest.
5: Yeah, I, I think the IPA thing is a bit of a generational. In my experience has been the younger younger folks really like that hopsy beer. And those of us who have a few more miles on the treads like something a little bit smoother, like the Pilsners or uh, the mm-hmm. lagers. Um, so uh, along that, made, uh, have you tried uh, uh, Litchfield bourbon? I have not tried
2: Litchfield bourbon, but I do love bourbon
5: i i know you do and i think uh you should try it um uh, to support the state uh there are many versions but i can uh tell you from personal uh, uh experience that they all make great manhattan so uh, as as the seasons shift here as we move from summer to fall we're moving into manhattan season and uh there's a whole new um, uh, landscape in front of you uh to try out so uh I enjoyed speaking with you uh, today and uh, really happy to have you at the helm of our largest uh, business organization. And I would just say, you know, keep focusing on that cooperation, collaboration and coordination uh, in in all aspects of what we do. If we you know, I think we're starting to get everybody rowing in the same direction and we're just going to make a lot more progress as we do that. So uh, thank you for all that you do.
2: Thank you, Colin. Yeah, that's part of my DNA, is you know, collaboration, cooperation. We will, we will never take our foot off the gas in that one. So uh, appreciate all the support you've given us as well.
5: Great, thank you.